So um, I want to look at um, what the kingdom of God uh, means uh, this morning. Um, the kingdom of God is the prominent theme in the teaching of Jesus. Um, but what does it mean? Well, one of the things that the kingdom of God means is God's sovereign rule over the heavens and the earth. So in Psalm um, 103, verse 19, you can see this. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Um, so what that's saying is that God rules over the heavens and the earth. Um, he reigns over all things, all things in heaven and all things in earth. And Jesus said in his message um, in, in uh, Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God is near. In other words, the kingdom of God has drawn near in his person and teaching and ministry. A new phase in God's plan of salvation has arrived in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring God's kingdom more fully on earth as it is in heaven. But to say that God reigns um, is, is quite difficult, isn't it? Because as we say that and we sing that and we pray that, we're very aware that we live in a broken and hurting world. Um, we still are battling with a coronavirus pandemic, aren't we? We live in a world where many of our family members, friends, neighbours, work colleagues do not recognise that Jesus is king and is sovereign over the, over the earth. That's a reality, isn't it? Many people have rejected Jesus as king. Many Christians are persecuted for their faith. What does saying that the kingdom of God is drawn near and God reigns over the heaven and the earth mean for Christians who are persecuted and imprisoned for their faith? What does saying that the kingdom is near and God reigns over the heavens and the earth mean in a world where environmental destruction is more and more a reality? What does saying that the kingdom of God has come near and God is reigning over the heavens and the earth mean in 21st century Britain, a culture that has largely rejected the Bible and God, and a culture of injustice where poverty is rising and where people very soon will face the choice of whether to heat or eat? What does the kingdom of God look like in our nation? today in 21st century Britain. How is God reigning? Is he still reigning in our world? That's a complex question. Um, but I want to tell it by telling you a story about the kingdom of God on earth. I'll take you right back to the book of Genesis, to Adam and Eve. God gave them a garden to live in. And it was a garden where there was a tree of life. And Adam and Eve were promised that if they ate from this tree of life, that they would live forever. There was no death. There was no curse in, on creation. Work was utterly fulfilling and joyful. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the garden. That's a beautiful image, isn't it? Can you imagine? Well, I can't. Walking and talking with God in the cool of the garden. Having that in instant personal access with God. 
God gave them the role to reign over creation and look after and care for and cultivate the ground as vice-regents, as those who were reigning over the earth on his behalf. There was a harmony in the relationship between Adam and Eve and creation, between Adam and Eve and God, and between Adam and Eve. But we know, don't we, as we read on into Genesis 3, this perfect kingdom in the Garden of, of, of Eden was distorted and marred by Adam and Eve's sin. Adam and Eve chose to reject God's kingship over them. They were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but rather than submit to God's perfect rule, they decided to do their own thing, to set themselves up as, as kings. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They, they tried to be God where only God could be God. They wanted to be in charge. And as a result, they were excluded, exiled, cut off from the garden. They lost that intimate personal relationship with God. A flaming sword and cherubim were placed at the entrance to the garden, signifying there was no way back into that place of intimacy and that kingdom was cut off from Adam and Eve. And as a result, the earth became harder to cultivate. Frustration entered into the workplace. Human beings experienced envy, revenge, violence, greed, self-centeredness. Relationships became fractured and pain and sadness and grief entered into the human experience, as did death. God was still sovereign and king and reigning over the heavens and the earth, and yet the, the kingdom of God on earth had been marred and distorted by human rebellion. But the good news of the Bible is this, that when Jesus came again, when God's Son entered the earth, he came to begin to restore the perfect kingdom of God that was there in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Um, Jesus taught that in his coming, the kingdom of God has come near again. That is what he means. In his person, God's kingdom is breaking into the earth. As Jesus healed the sick, as he cast out demons, as he performed miracles, as people believe the good news and follow Jesus, the kingdom of God was breaking more and more fully into the earth again. The kingdom of God that was there in the beginning was being restored by Jesus. Let me illustrate uh, this way. You remember la last week was very mild, wasn't it? We were, we were confused. We were going out in coats, big overcoats, and we were getting hot as we were walking. Anybody else? It was like, hang on a minute, it's supposed to be January and it's in double figures. We're kind of back to reality again, aren't we? This is, apparently, this is a more normal temperature for January. So we're, we're, we live as British people in constant state of confusion about the weather. We don't know what to wear, do we? Whether to put gloves on, hats, scarves, you know, uh, we, it, that's part of our obsession, isn't it? British people, the weather. But occasionally, spring-like days break into the winter, don't they? I mean, what a beautiful day today. Um, I'm not sure it's spring temperatures, but it's certainly spring sunshine. But we experience the future seasons 
breaking into the present. And we go, oh, it's just like spring today. Spring has sprung in January. Well, that's a bit like the kingdom of God. We get a foretaste of the future breaking into the present. As Jesus casts out demons, we see the future perfected kingdom of God breaking into the earth. As people are healed miraculously, we see a new heaven and a new earth breaking into the present reality where there's no sickness in heaven. As Jesus calms the storm, we see the perfected creation that will be there at the end of the age, breaking into the present. In the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more global warming or environmental destruction or tragic loss of life through storms and tornadoes and floods. Creation will be perfected again as it was in the Garden of Eden. The reality is that the kingdom is both present now because Jesus has come, but it's also growing. If you read through Mark's Gospel, you'll see the parables that Jesus told of the present and growing kingdom. So Jesus came to begin to restore the kingdom reign of God that was lost in Genesis, but it's a growing reality. It's increasing. Um, so I don't know if you can see that very well. You probably can see it better on Zoom, but there's the parable of the sower. Remember the parable of the sower? Jesus told this to explain how the kingdom of God grows on the earth. Um, so he told it like this. He said, a sower went out to seed, which represents to sow the seed, which represents a farmer sowing seed. The seed, the good news of the gospel. Some of the seed falls on the path, and the birds come and eat it up. Some of the seed falls on rocky places, and because the rocky um, soil is, is very thin, it doesn't take root, and it withers. Some of the seed falls among thorns, and the thorns grow up, and they choke the young seedlings. And Jesus said, Different people are like different soils. Some are like the path. Um, Satan comes and snatches the message away from them as soon as they hear it. Some are like the rocky places. They start off really well, but they have no root and they fall away. And some are like the thorns of life. The cares and concerns of this world choke their faith. You know, some people are like that, aren't they? You know, the, the, the difficulties, the struggles, the disappointments, the sufferings of life choke their faith, and they fall away. But Jesus said, some are like the good soil. Um, the seed is sown into them, and they produce a crop 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what was there originally. I hope you and I are good soil this morning. And so the reality is that although the kingdom has come and is present and is growing, there will be opposition to it. You know this, don't you, from your own experience? You know this from temptation and your struggle with sin, from your family, from your workplaces, from the community. Not everybody is delighted to hear about Jesus, right? Not everybody is delighted that you're a Christian. There will be opposition. But there is a huge crop and harvest that God wants to bring in your life and my life and through us. Isn't that good news? And the kingdom is growing. One day that growth will come to fullness. But in the meantime, Jesus told other parables in Mark 13 about the hidden and growing kingdom. Um, so the fullness of the kingdom of God 
on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you, won't, you won't see this uh, text. Um, but Jesus told another parable about a mustard seed growing into a tree. Now, a mustard seed is tiny. You can barely see it. It's a little dark brown, black, tiny little seed. You can just about see it on the palm of your hand. But when that seed grows up, it becomes uh, a tree in which birds can actually nest. It's that big. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed growing into a tree. Um, it's the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. So from a tiny little beginning, a tiny little seed, comes a shrub that's big enough for birds to perch in it. And Jesus told other, another parable about yeast. Remember this one? The kingdom of God is like yeast that you mix with flour and water to make bread. And a tiny bit of yeast is enough to bring about a whole batch of, of loaf. So it's hidden. It's, many people don't even notice the mustard seed or the yeast, but it brings about a huge outcome out of all proportion to the little bit of seed that was, that was there originally. And Jesus says in Mark's Gospel that at the end of the age, when he comes again, he will gather a harvest of people who've come to trust in and follow him. At, the time, at that time, men will see the, king, the, the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. That's the harvest that's coming when Jesus comes again. All those seeds that have been sown and have entered the good soil will produce such a big crop that Jesus will gather that crop of souls right from the four corners of the earth. There will be people from every tribe, nationality, people group coming into the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? So that's what's coming. And the perfect kingdom of God will come down from heaven in the new Jerusalem and join with the earth, and there'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more curse, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. God's people will live in new resurrected bodies that will not decay or age or get sick or get old or die. Read Revelation 21 and 22. There is the fullness and completion of the kingdom of God on earth. The kingdom of God comes down out of heaven and joins with the earth, and there's a new heaven and a new earth. That's the future. If you've read the end of the book, you know Jesus wins, right? You know the kingdom of God is coming in its fullness. I don't know how we can sing that song because of you, where the streets shine, and not be happy, right? That's true of us, folks. We ought to be bouncing around off the ceiling, right? That's for us. We're to celebrate and be joyful in the coming fullness of the kingdom in Revelation. We're going to be dancing where the streets shine with the glory of the Lamb, right? Why aren't we bouncing off the ceiling, folks? Come on. This is good news. Hallelujah. Let's not be ashamed of the truth of the good news of the gospel and celebrate it and be joyful in it, right? Come on, church. But in the meantime, we don't live in the fullness of the kingdom, in case you haven't noticed. 
Well, we're wearing masks, isn't it, this morning? Oh, to take these masks off. Throw them away. Come, Lord. But in the meantime, we live in a world where the kingdom is present and growing, but it's not fully here yet. And in the meantime, Satan will do all he can to oppose the growth of the kingdom. Satan is alive and well during the pandemic. Have you noticed? I'm not just talking about the fact that the curse results in things like viruses. I'm talking about the effect on the church, right? I'm talking about the effect of people drifting away from worship and the church during lockdown and the pandemic. We need to pray against this. Satan is alive and well and doing all he can to cause God's people to grow cold and to become apathetic about their faith, right? Now, I'm not talking about people who are on Zoom. I'm talking about people who've, who've not even tuning into Zoom anymore, right? Who've left the church. It breaks, must break God's heart, mustn't it? God's people have abandoned his people, abandoned his church. People have gone into a pattern of sloth and apathy towards God and the kingdom. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Jesus is coming, and he'll be looking for faith on the earth. Will we have faith? Will we be people who've stayed the course and persevered through the pandemics and through the sufferings? I hope so. I pray so. Jesus gave us glimpses of spring and summer, didn't he? In the middle of winter. When he healed the sick, when he calmed the storm, when he fed a crowd of 5,000 with five uh, small pieces of bread and two small fish, he gave us glimpses of the new heaven and the new earth where there will be perfect harmony between God and people, people and creation, and people and people. There will be perfection again. No death, no suffering, no tears. No disharmony, no frustration. But until then, we live with a foe in Satan who's defeated, but who's doing all he can to oppose the kingdom. His time is short. He will be defeated, but he's doing all he can to take as many people down as he can. Um, it's really helpful. Uh, I've used this illustration before, but I wanted to go in a bit, into a bit more detail on the, with it this morning because it's really helpful um, to explain the kingdom as both now and not yet. Oscar Coleman, somebody I studied at, at college the first time round, a theologian, he used the analogy of D-Day and V-Day from the Second World War to explain the presence of the kingdom as both now and not yet. The analogy goes like this. Um, we can put up a picture of Operation Overlord. There it is. Uh, VE Day was not until May the 8th, 1945. But in a very real sense, historians will tell you that the war in Europe was over on the 6th of June, 1944. D-Day. And on that day, in Operation Overlord, some 1,000 ships, the, last, the largest armada ever to set sail, carried... 200,000 soldiers across the English Channel to France, where they stormed the coasts of Normandy. It was the beginning of a military build-up that Germany could never have stopped. Anyone watching knew objectively that it was only a matter of time 
when the Germans were defeated. The relentless crushing of German factories from American aircraft, the ever-narrowing of German supply lines, all this declared that the difference between D-Day and VE Day was just a matter of time. And for, the, for this reason, many historians declare that on June the 6th, 1944, the war was over. But I guess it's all very well for historians to say that, but if you're a soldier on the ground in June, on June the 6th, 1944, your experience would have been very different from this, wouldn't it? It's all very well with the benefit of hindsight, but as a soldier in June 44, you'd still be dodging bullets. You'd be, there would be people bleeding and wounded. There'd be people still dying. Many harrowing days yet to endure. But it's not that our soldiers weren't unaware of the significance of Normandy. They would have understood it and been greatly encouraged, no doubt. But the day-to-day -day experience of war was still a, very much a reality for them. The dangers were many and everywhere. And so D-Day and V-Day serve us as an analogy for God's kingdom having come in Jesus and yet still to fully come in the future when he returns. D-Day has come. God has invaded history in Jesus. He has come to rescue us. He has fought the decisive battle of the war. Final victory has been secured. It is a matter of time. Satan's time is short. But Jesus has triumphed over Satan at the cross. D-Day has happened. But it doesn't always feel that way to us as troops on the ground. Remember, Paul says, we're soldiers of Christ, right? The language of front line that we use in our small groups, absolutely right. We're on a front line. We're in a spiritual battle. Our adversary, Satan, walks around like a prowling lion, seeking Christians to devour. We need to be aware of that. Satan is not inactive. He's not passive. He's looking to discourage us. He's looking to bring us down, to tempt us into sin. He's looking for us to fall away and become apathetic in our faith. But here's the good news. He's a defeated foe. and One day he'll be fully defeated. But like Hitler, knowing his time is all up, like Hitler, Satan is launching his last hurrah, trying to do as much damage as he can before he's finally defeated. But we are safe in Christ. If we persevere, we will land on that final shore of eternity. But there are casualties. Some people who begin well in the faith don't make it. That's what the parable of the sower says. Right? Some, some seed falls on the path. It's snatched away. Some seed falls in the rocky ground. It never takes root. The plants wither. Some people's faith gets choked by the weeds that grow up around it. Who in your family, friends, do you need to pray for right now where their faith is being choked by weeds. There are, there are people we need to be praying for whose faith is being throttled and choked right now. We're in a battle, folks, yeah? We need to pray that God would deliver friends and family from the evil one, that their faith would not be choked and withered by the work of Satan and by difficult circumstances, by grief, by pain, by suffering. But they'd 
be restored, right? Some of you right now are wrestling with loved ones. Wrestle, fight, fight the good fight of faith. Don't give up. Jesus is victorious. Keep praying. We must never lose sight of the fact that we struggle in hope and uncertainty of final victory. If you've read the end of the book, the Bible, you're on the winning side, right? Don't ever forget that. This is not easy. You don't need me to tell you this. It's not easy being a Christian in 21st century Britain, right? But we're on the winning side. There will be many skirmishes in these days. Um, there will be much opposition to the kingdom. But hold on to the fact that D-Day is behind us and VE Day is coming. It's assured. Christ is risen. Christ is reigning. Christ is coming again. That's your hope. That's your confidence. So don't look at the bad news. Don't look at the state of the world. Look to Jesus. He's your rock. He's your stronghold. He's your refuge. I'm coming into land. In the meantime, as Mark challenged us this morning, Jesus has authority. He's the Son of God who is reigning at the right hand of the Father right now. And in his authority as the Son of God, he gives us power through the Spirit and authority to go in his name and make disciples. Right? He calls us to go and make other disciples, to go into the world and to share the good news of the kingdom, to be his hands and feet, his voice, to pray for the sick that they might be healed, to witness to people who don't know Christ and to pray for them that they might turn to Christ, repent and believe the good news and enter the kingdom, right? That's you, your job and my job. So what can you do? Very simply, why don't you begin by inviting someone who doesn't know Jesus to come to Alpha? on Thursday the 20th of January. You can do that, can't you? Can't you? You can invite somebody who's not a Christian to come to Alpha and come with them if necessary. We can all do that. Because as you invite someone to come and hear the good news of the kingdom, you're giving them the opportunity to turn to Jesus and enter the kingdom and enjoy his eternal kingdom. That's what we pray for and hope for, isn't it? That's what we're here for. That's what our role is as disciples, is to make other disciples, to call people to follow Jesus and enter the kingdom. Unless I've read the Bible wrong. Pretty simple, isn't it? Go and make disciples. Jesus has authority, and he's given all authority in heaven on earth to you and me to go and make disciples. He's given that to us through the Holy Spirit. So let's do it with boldness, with confidence, knowing that the devil's time is short, that Christ has won the war, and the battle will soon be over. Don't we want as many people on the winning side with us as possible? Yeah? Well, I know it's January, but come on. Where's the passion in fire in God's people? Where's the fire in our belly? It's a world out there that's lost. 
God, put fire in our belly. Give us compassion for the hurting, the lost. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the good news of the kingdom that's come near in Jesus. But Lord, we don't want to keep this good news to ourselves. We want others to enter into the kingdom. Lord, use even me. Use even us to tell people about the kingdom, to invite them to Alpha, to invite them to church, to invite them to follow Jesus, that they too might enter into the kingdom and enjoy the benefits of eternal life and of joy in this life. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Give us a boldness and a passion at the beginning of this year, Lord, to make you known. Lord, deliver us from apathy and indifference and lukewarmness. Give us a passion and a boldness and a joy, Jesus, in you. For we ask this in your name. Amen.